The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 3, 1-4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and welcome to Sacred City Church Online. My name is Justin, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. And if you are new to our church, I want you to know that we would love to help you get connected. We've got smaller groups of people getting together online throughout the week, checking in on one another, discussing the sermon, praying together. And we would love to have you join us uh, for some virtual community. The easiest way to do that is go to our website and just sign up for our email list. And we send out uh, information every single week on how to join these groups. But also if you're watching this via Facebook, in the Facebook post, there's most likely a link there with all of our missional communities. And you can... uh, Click on that and you can join one of our missional communities virtually through the app Zoom um, throughout the week. So we hope you're doing that. I have gotten a few emails from people who are new to our church. They're joining in. They're wanting to get connected and I'm really encouraged. It seems like during this pandemic and this difficult season, more people than ever are watching our sermons and wanting to get get connected. So we're praying that God would do something unique in this season that we actually come out better than we went in. And that's our goal, and that's my prayer for you as well. Um, I'm really not going to say any much, much more for an introduction. I just want to pray and jump into the book of Colossians because I am really excited to preach this text to you this morning. So let me pray. Father, you know us. The scriptures tell us that you know our frame, you know how we're wired. You know how we're created. You know our weaknesses. You know us better than we know ourselves, And therefore, you know how to fix us. You know how to help us. You know how to heal us. You know how to cause us to grow and become the best version of ourself. And we want to hear from you this morning. We believe that you have all wisdom in yourself. You have all truth in yourself. You have all glory and goodness in yourself. And so we come to you and we say, feed us, give us what we need this morning, Father. Give us what we lack. And we come to your word expecting great things. Father, I ask that you would think through my mind and you would speak through my vocal cords, that you would use me to speak to your people this morning, that this is a great gift to read your word, to study your word, to preach your word, to hear your word preached that in it we can hear you speak to us. And so we position ourselves now humbly at your feet and we long to hear your voice. So would you speak to your people for your glory and our good in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have been excited to preach this text for at least a year that our culture is just obsessed with finding ourselves. And a quick Google search will tell you how to find yourself. It's very simple. You just start relying on yourself. You 
You build up your confidence and reliance because confidence in yourself and reliance in yourself are at the heart of, quote, finding yourself. They say this, if you don't have a solid sense of self-worth, you'll listen to what others have to say all the time and you'll be swayed by their insistence on what is appropriate. You should just listen to yourself and learn to believe in yourself and trust your own feelings. Now, that kind of thinking is so universal in our culture, it might be even hard at first glance to see what's wrong with it. But today, the Apostle Paul shows us how to find ourselves in a way that is totally unique from what our culture says. It doesn't start with confidence in our own abilities. It doesn't start with our own self-worth or it doesn't start in our own feelings. Actually, finding ourselves comes from God. And therefore, it's more stable, it's more reliable, and I would dare say it's even eternal. It can never be taken from you. It can never be lost. And so if you want to find yourself, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how to do that in a way that's actually real and reliable and eternal rather than what our culture says for us today. And so that's really what we're talking about this morning is how to find yourself in God. And one of the surprising things he says in our text is actually you're going to find yourself in God by thinking heavenly thoughts. Now, that just seems kind of weird and ethereal. And there's even this saying that, that goes around in our world that, that, that speaks of a person who thinks about heaven a lot or thinks about spiritual things a lot. And it says like this, Oh, that person is so heavenly minded, she's of no earthly good. She's so heavenly minded. She's of no earthly good. Have you heard this statement before? I know I've heard it. I don't even know where I heard it. I don't even know where it comes from, but it's just kind of universal in our society. I know the new atheists have kind of jumped on this bandwagon and they claim the same things. They say things like, oh, we should dismiss dismiss faith and dismiss religion and dismiss Christianity because the more Christians think about heaven, the less they care about things on this earth. The less they care about the environment or the less they care about injustice. So don't think about heaven. Actually, just think about this world because that's all we have to work with. Well, first off, this drives me crazy because it's just absolutely historically inaccurate. I'm reading a book right now called The History of Thought, and it's by a, a philosopher who's an atheist, and he, he makes the claim in there that if it wasn't for Christianity, the world would not have hospitals. The world would not have universities. The world would not have poverty initiatives. The world would not, we would still be, we would still have the slave trade. Because if you study history, Christianity was the first one to come up with the idea that human beings have inherent dignity, value, and worth, right? So it was Christians who created the first hospitals. 
It was Christians who created the first universities. It was Christians who actually were the first to care about the poor and wanted to feed the poor and house the poor and clothe the poor and take care of the poor. It was Christians who abolished the slave trade. So it drives me crazy when people say, well, she's so heavenly minded, she's of no earthly good. No, 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 because the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Here in our text, Paul says twice, seek the things that are above, right? Set your mind on heavenly things. He's telling Christians not to be less heavenly minded, but to be more heavenly minded. And you know what the rest of the chapter is about? The rest of chapter three is all about the way thinking heavenly or setting your mind on heavenly things is going to actually have an earthly impact. The rest of the chapter is on earthly things. He talks in the rest of the chapter about compassion, which means to suffer with someone else. He talks about kindness. He talks about humility. He talks about meekness and patience and forgiving those who have wronged us. He talks about loving other people. He talks about how to be a good husband and a good wife and how to treat our kids. And he tells the kids how to respect their parents and how, to, how for us to work under, an, uh, under a boss, right? He talks about how to build a good life in this world and to work heartily, to work hard in this life that we've been given. See, Paul turns this American colloquialism on its head. And he says, actually, if you want to be of more earthly good, you need to spend more time, not less, thinking about heaven and thinking about the reality of what's going on in heaven. Now, first off, why is that the case? Why would thinking about heaven or the reality of heaven or what's going on in heaven actually make us more good down here on this earth? Why would that work? Well, I just want you to think about um, the reality. If you are earthly minded, if you want to be like the new atheists and you want to say, hey, don't think about heaven, don't think about an afterlife, don't think about the spiritual world, only think about what this world is and what this world has to offer. Well, what that means is when you're earthly minded, all of your meaning in life, all of your identity, all of your self, all of your happiness and purpose is by definition sourced in this world. It creates all kinds of problems. First, we know that this world, this earthly world that we live in, it runs on survival of the fittest right? If this is all there is, then that means I have got to get all that I can get right now. And everyone else out there is actually my competitor. We're all competing for the same resources, right? Within this mindset, you have no real reason to care about anyone else. Who cares about your neighbor, right? The only reason I would care about my neighbor is if they could help me reach my goals, right? There's no real reason for friendship or compassion or kindness. Actually, why even care about the environment at all, 
right? Why not exploit the environment for all of its resources so that I can gain more wealth and more happiness and more peace? Anyways, it's all going to burn up in the end anyways. So why conserve? Why do I, why even care about the earth if I have an earthly mindset? Secondly, the earthly mindset is based on the law of diminishing returns, right? We, we know this. What we get in this world, no matter how much we get, is actually never enough. We always want more. After working his whole life to be rich and famous and adored by his fans, Jim Carrey has said what many who have accomplished all their dreams have said. He said this, quote, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed so that when they get it, they can realize that it's not the answer it won't make you happy, right? We, we know this. We're never satisfied, right? We always want more. And we're kind of cursed with the law of diminishing returns. Third, being earthly-minded creates us, in us, this selfishness, and it creates very fragile identities. What is your life? Where, where do you find your life? If, if you find your life in created things, you, 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 you find your life in money, you find your life in health, you find your life in popularity, in friendship, whatever it is, it makes us inherently selfish for one. We start using those things to build ourselves, and we're not really loving those things for their own good. We're loving them so they make us feel good or they give us an identity. And, and then any of those things can be taken from us in a moment and that makes our self incredibly fragile. David Foster Wallace has famously um, spoken on this kind of reality and he, he said it like this, quote, I'm going to give you a long quote. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It has been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in your daily consciousness. Listen, worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. 
See, I want you to think about this. We have been taught by our culture. There's, we, our culture teaches us there's two ways to, quote, find yourself. Our culture says, one, you look within, right? You go inside yourself. Or two, you look outward to some created thing or some goal. That's how you find yourself, right? So within, how do I find myself by looking within? Well, here you somehow search the recesses of your soul. You go in and find who you really are And then you expect the outside world and all of your relationships to conform to whatever this inner reality you have on the inside is. So that means you you can be an incredibly angry person, right? Ruled by your anger, but you go in and you find that person and you expect the world to accept you as you are. It's okay that you blow up at people and you're angry. That's just who you are and you expect the outside world to conform to you. Or you can go in and you can find some some kind of created sexual preference that you have or some created gender that you feel like you have and you expect the outside world to somehow conform to this thing that you found on the inside, right? Our culture is teaching us, go inside, find yourself. So you can go in, I'm just an incredibly selfish person. And you expect the world to to revolve around you, right? This is a, a, a common way that our society says to go find yourself. Or secondly, you look outside of yourself to some created thing, some accomplishment, something out there, and you go and you find yourself by accomplishing that thing right? You build your identity through your accomplishments. Now you are a lawyer, right? Because you went out and you earned it and you became it and that's who you are. You conform yourself to the outside world. You see the standard out there. You see the, um, all the rules and all the things and you go out and you just conform yourself to it and you accomplish and you become, right? You go out there and literally make something of yourself. Now, what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul says both of those approaches, looking within to find yourself and looking out, both of those approaches will fail you because ultimately they're based on your own work. They're based on you, right? They are entirely self-focused and all they do is actually make a person more self-absorbed. He says, if you want to find yourself, your true self, don't look within and don't look without to something to conform to. Actually, what you should do is look up. Look at our text this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life, look, is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, if you want to find yourself, look up. 
Set your mind on things above because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have died with him and you have been raised with him and now your life is hidden in, with Christ in God. Now, first off, I want to see, I want to see th- this section of Scripture starts with if then. And what that means is, well, we know an if-then statement, right? We, 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 if we, we took math, we should know some of those, an if-then statement. If then is true, if this is true, then this is true. And what he's saying here is, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is true about yourself. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then you've died with him, then you've been raised with him, then you have a new self that's hidden with Christ in God in heaven. And that that means something brilliant for us. See, this word life, you have life hidden with Christ in God. That word life in the Greek is zoe. It means health. It means exuberance. It means happiness, vitality, and the like. Jesus uses the same word in John 10.10 where he said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. What that means for the Christian is that your happiness your wholeness, your completion, your maturity, your best self is not found in you, nor is it found in accomplishing some goal. It's found uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about that. We all want to grow up. We all want to become the best version of ourself. We want to be all that we can be, don't we? Well, Christianity says that version of you is not found by searching the depths of your soul, going in and finding some inner you, nor is it found by accomplishing some goal. That person of you is actually found by seeking Jesus Christ. Now, just in case we miss the point here, Paul isn't, talking about merely emulating Jesus. He's not saying, here's how you grow up. Here comes, here's how you become the best version of yourself. Follow the example of Jesus. Just obey Jesus. See, like use Jesus as your great moral exemplar, your great hero, and just try your best to walk in his footsteps and do what he did. In in one sense, that's another way of saying that your real life is just out there for you to accomplish. Just obey and you'll find it. That's not what he's doing. Paul takes this to a whole nother dimension. And you can see that, by the way, in our text, he uses past, present, and future language in the text. He says, we have died with Jesus. We have been raised 
with Jesus. That's past tense. It's something that's already been accomplished. It was accomplished by Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. And when Jesus, through his spirit, gives us the faith and we put that faith back in Jesus, that was true of us. We have died with Christ. We have been raised to new life spiritually with Christ. Therefore, because of that past action, this is now presently true of us, our truest self, right? Our real life is presently hidden with Christ in God, now in heaven. That is a present reality. That's true of us right now. And then there's a future aspect to it. He says, when Christ comes back, he's bringing our life with him. That means our self in its glorified state, our glorified bodies, our glorified souls, our glorified self is coming back with Jesus. That is just absolutely fascinating. The perfect version of ourself is coming back with Christ. And we will be that glorified, I will be that glorified Justin Dean someday. That is just fascinating to me. That is our future. And it's completely secure because of the work of Jesus Christ. So I want you to see, this is really unique. See, our culture says that if you want yourself or you want to find yourself, you have to earn it. You either earn it by going in or you earn it by going out. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. The self isn't earned. The self is actually received from God as a gift of grace. It isn't achieved, it's received. Our life has been given to us through Jesus' work on the cross, and it's a guaranteed reality that we will appear with him in glory when he comes back again. Now, what Paul is doing here is Paul is saying, for us to be of more earthly good, for us to live in this world um, in a way that brings more blessing and promotes more human flourishing and we're a more earthly good, we need to spend more time thinking about that heavenly reality. That's what it means to seek the things that are above. He's not telling us just to think about heaven and streets of gold someday. He's telling us to think about these life-changing realities of the gospel that Jesus has made us new. That our life is hidden with Christ in God and that makes all the difference in how we live in this world today. Think about it. I want to take just a, a couple minutes to juxtapose the heavenly mindset with the early mindset that I talked about from the beginning of the sermon. First, remember, the earthly mindset was ruled by the survival of the fittest. You have to squeeze out every drop of pleasure that you can in this life, and there's no real reason to care about anybody else because we're all competing for resources. Well, not so with the heavenly mindset. See, because of the gospel, eternal heavenly pleasure is already guaranteed to us 
by the work of Jesus. So now I am free to be sacrificial, right? I can lay down my immediate wants and my immediate desires for the good of my neighbor, right? I am now free to be compassionate to another person because they are not in, we're not competing anymore. My eternal rewards are secure. And so I can be free and generous with the earthly things that God has given me right now, right? I can be kind. I don't need to have to get over and be in constant competition to other people. I am free to give up a Friday night date night to go and serve the poor in our community. Why? Because of my, my, the heavenly reality of my truest self is already secure, right? It's already secure. I don't have to squeeze out every drop of pleasure on this earth because eternal pleasure is guaranteed me. Secondly, the earthly mindset was cursed with the law of diminishing returns. This world can never satisfy our souls and give us the happiness we're looking for. Well, not so with the heavenly mindset. See, my soul, the reason the earth can never satisfy my soul and the reason pleasure is never enough on this earth is because my soul was actually made for God. I was meant to find my ultimate satisfaction of pleasure in God himself. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus has given me. So when I set my mind on heavenly things, I can find my satisfaction in Christ. I can receive that by faith today, right? And ultimately, I'm also thinking about the reality that I don't have to try to satisfy every ounce of pleasure in, in this earth because one day I'm going to see Jesus Christ faith, face to face and I will be totally, ultimately, completely satisfied in him. Third, we saw the problem with being earthly minded. It created very fragile identities because anything in this world could be taken from you in an instant. Well, not so with a heavenly mindset. See, myself is eternally and cosmically secure. It's in heaven with Jesus. I don't have, that means I don't have to go out there and make something of myself in order to find my identity, nor can something be taken from me and cause me to lose my identity. When sickness or age or whatever takes this earthly body, I don't have to die a million deaths. I don't have to cling on to this life. Why? Because my real self is hidden with Christ in God. See, the way of this world, the earthly-minded person, is really just a self-absorbed person that believes the whole world revolves around them. It's the default setting of the human heart. But when we believe the gospel, the gospel overwrites that default setting. It actually creates a humble person. A humble person that isn't trying to get everyone else to help them build an identity. They aren't trying to get the world to help them make something of themselves. Just the opposite. A Christian, through the power of the gospel and the work of Jesus, they have already received a self from God 
And now they are out to bless the world, not just take from the world, but to bless the world, to give back, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that might be the greatest blessing in all of this, that it forces us to actually take our eyes off of ourself and put them on Jesus. See, that's the, that's the reality. What, what our world is telling us to do is focus on yourself. We call that navel gazing, right? Just stare in at yourself. But the reality, the more you stare in at yourself, the more self-absorbed you become, right? Do, do we, you really want to be self-absorbed? And the more the world tells us, go out there and make something of yourself. Well, what are you doing? Everything you're doing out in the world, all of your accomplishments, all of your education, all of your business opportunities, even your family, even your sports, everything you do, you're actually not doing them just for the blessing of them or just doing them to to bless humanity, right? You're doing them to build a self. That means you're doing them selfishly. You're using everything in the world for your own good right? To be more and more and more self-absorbed. Well, self-absorption is actually our problem. You're never going to find yourself by being more obsessed with yourself. Christianity teaches the exact opposite. If you want to find yourself, step one is actually to take your eyes off of yourself. Now, I don't think anybody has described this reality more poignantly than C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity. So I'm going to do another kind of longer quote uh, from Mere Christianity. He says this, and he doesn't, uh, by the way, he doesn't uh, quote any scripture in this, in this text, but I think he's meditating on our text of scripture this morning. I think he's meditating on Colossians 1 through 4, and you'll, you'll hear some echoes of it. Let me, let me quote it for you right now. C.S. Lewis, the very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours, and yours because it is his, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you're making. Even in literature and art, no man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence how often has been told before, you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Here it is. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, 
loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him with everything else thrown in. Listen, when you look at your life right now, what are you lacking? I know for me, being in this quarantine and um, being separated from a lot of the things that I find um, my outward identity in, I don't get to see you, I don't get to have your hugs, I don't get to hear your affirmation about the sermon or how God's speaking to you, I don't get to see my staff, I don't get to go to my favorite restaurants, my favorite coffee, get my favorite coffee. All of these things have kind of been taken from me, right? And so I'm left with myself at home and my, and my kids and my family. And I've been confronted with the reality of some things that I lack in myself, right? Have you been confronted with that reality? What are you lacking in yourself? Are you lacking peace? Are you lacking patience? Are you lacking kindness? Do you lack gentleness? What about meekness or courage? Do you lack courage? Do you lack self-control? You can't stop the Netflix from just repeating, right? You can't stop yourself from going to the fridge and eating more. You can't stop yourself from complaining. You can't stop yourself from looking at pornography. Do you lack self-control? Now here's the reality. All of those things, that's the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things, you won't find those things by going inside yourself. You won't even find those things by looking outside yourself around. You can't find those things by seeking them directly. You find them, you become courageous or gentle or patient or kind. You find them by seeking Jesus. That's how you find them. And that is deeply encouraging to me that I can't just buckle down and seek patience or gentleness or kindness. I actually have to be heavenly minded and be reminded of the reality of what Jesus has done for me in the past, that he died for me, that he was raised for me, that my new self, my patient self is actually, so my impatient self has been crucified. My patient self has been resurrected and is is in Christ right now in heaven. And it's going to be delivered to me in the end when Christ comes back. So it's a guaranteed reality, right? And the more I think about that, guess what? And the more I look at the patience of Jesus and see what Jesus has done for me in the heavenly realm, the more patient I become. I don't have to be patient right now because my patient self is coming. And guess what that miraculously does? Makes me more patient. It's crazy. Makes me more patient right? That's deeply encouraging to me that I can become my best self by choosing every day to meditate on Jesus, to seek the things that are above, to look for Jesus. And slowly, day after day, hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year, Jesus is making a good man out of me, right? Jesus is making me into a man who looks more like him, a man who has all of those positive 
traits from the fruit of the Spirit. And as I think about this, this just Paul says it a different way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says it like this. And we all, that means all who are in Christ, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So let me say this, looking at the face of Jesus, beholding heavenly realities, beholding what's going on in heaven, beholding Christ who is our life, right? Beholding him, what's going to happen? Beholding the glory of the Lord, look, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now we, when I was a kid, I had those transformers, right? Transformers that went from a truck into a robot, right? Think about going from one image to another image. You're going from your your earthly self, your sinful self, your impatient self, your unkind self, your rude self, your self that lacks self-control, and you're being transferred into another image, the image of Jesus, the patient, kind, gentle, courageous one. And how is that transformation taking place? It's not just taking place with white-knuckled obedience. It's not taking place by punishing yourself every time you sin and every time you make a mistake. It's not coming necessarily by waking up at 4.30 a.m. and being super disciplined, though discipline is of some value. How does the transformation from your weakest version of yourself to your most glorious version of yourself, how does the transformation take place? It comes, look, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How does it come? It comes from beholding. That's the term he says. He says this, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's another way of saying by being heavenly minded, by beholding the glory of the Lord, by looking up into Jesus Christ, by contemplating the heavenly realities of the gospel. Constantly, as often as we possibly can, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. See, this is how we need to be more heavenly minded to be a more earthly good, right? What does, what, do your, what does your family need? It probably needs a more patient you, right? How do you get there? By beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus, right? What does our city need? A more compassionate you, right? A more compassionate church. How do we get there? By beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. By setting our mind on the heavenly realities, right? That's how we get there. Not through our own efforts, not through our own work. We can rest and we can worship. That's what it's about this morning. I pray that that's as encouraging to you as it was, as it is for me. Beholding is becoming. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this reality that we have a self that is secure in you. A self that cannot be lost. That Jesus purchased it for us. That Jesus holds it for us. That Jesus will deliver it to us on the last day. 
And that can give us a sense of peace and patience right now that nothing else can. I also think that it, thank you for just the benefits that we can, we don't have to squeeze out every drop of pleasure on this earth because our eternal pleasure is waiting for us in you in heaven. Father, would you use this text to speak to our souls, to help us find ourselves in you, that we can be settled, that we can be confident, that we can be humble, that we can be patient, kind, and gentle, and that you would use us to bring more earthly good to our city. I pray that you would do all of this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.